attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason, and I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Richard Dickie Weinberg. Uh... As you'll hear him say, goes by he's gone by many names over the years. But during his camp years, he was he was Dickie Weinberg. Uh, these days, it's Richard. We had a great time. Uh, I had never met Richard before this interview, and uh, we had a, we had a lovely time together. So you're going to hear that. You're going to hear some fun stories. Uh, before we get to that, of course, housekeeping. You know what's coming. First of all, May sixth, twenty seventeen. Mark your calendars. Save the date. OJ ninety. 90th summer celebration, Camp Ojibwa. Uh, it's going to be amazing. I went this past week and saw the space for the first time, and wow, is it something. It's it's impressive. So uh, we're going to ho- take a whole bunch of people and shove them in that space and have a great time. I'm looking forward to that. So keep your eyes and ears on uh, oj90.com, oj90.com, for all the information and when tickets are going to go on sale and all that kind of good stuff. But for now, put it in your calendars. And of course, as always, if you have not picked up your commemorative brick yet, head on over to campojibwahistory.org, click on commemorative bricks, get your brick before it's too late to put your name eternally on the grounds of Camp Ojibwa under the Collegiate Week bench. Okay, here we go. Richard Weinberg on the Camp Ojibwa history podcast can you never tell me nothing there's nothing that i care to choose to tell you've been acting most peculiar every morning you're awake ahead of me always sitting by the window first and foremost please say your name and your years at camp ojibwa well, my name is Richard Weinberg, and depending on when you know me from, it's anything from Dickie to Dick to Rich to Richie to Richard. So <laughs> once upon a time, Dickie, today Richard. Went to camp from 1962 to 1974. Wow. And I was in cabins 135, 8, 10, 11, 13, 13, 13, 310, 5, Waterfront Shack. Wow. It's <laughs> a great run. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> and the three years in 13, that's, you know, not everyone three got lucky enough 13. for that. Yeah, they couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> so how did you first come to know about Camp Ojibwa? My father worked there in mm. uh, 1943, 4, and 5. He was teaching swimming at the Covenant Club downtown Chicago. Sure. And the Covenant Club was the uh, 
the club that had been started by the Russian Jews. The standard mm. club was the German Jews. Ah, okay. Now, you know, every, east is east and west is west. Everything's mixed now, but back then it wasn't. And Al was a member there, Alan Pearl, and he came up to my dad one day and asked him to come to camp, and he did. Wow. So, uh, so that's how I first heard about camp. That's really interesting. And right after, and right in those post-war years too, and camp was starting to kind of really pick up steam. Or well, I shouldn't say post-war, mid-war years, because yeah, well, it was picking up steam right. to get the kids out of town mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, but uh, my family goes way back in Eagle River. Mm. My mother's family used to go up during the summers just to escape the heat before air conditioning. So. Sure. Uh, and her brother, my uncle, Alvin Gottlieb, was a camper at Ojibwa. Okay. And my aunt, my father's sister, Dorothy, was up visiting my father at another camp that was, you know, during Depression times, it was probably $40 less for the summer, but, you know, $40 <laughs> was $40. Yeah, for sure. And when she came up, she went on a double date with uh, two guys from Ojibwa. And one of them was Eli Sudik, who was the man who came up with the, the original idea for Collegiate Week. Oh, that's interesting. Later on, uh, I think uh, Hank Bartlestein kind of rejiggered it into the what people recognize today, but the original idea was my Uncle Eli and my aunt went out uh, with him and another guy and her girlfriend. Each one married the other one's yes. uh, date. And uh, <laughs> so we, we went back to that time too. He was a program director there. Wow. And my, uh, you'll let me know when I'm rambling too much. Not at all, this is fascinating. But my, Aunt and uncle on the other side, their names were Nate and Irene Gottlieb, and my aunt, Dorothy, introduced the two of them, and they used to go up to Ojibwa to visit their son, Shelley, who's mm -hmm. my cousin, and his last year at camp was my first year, 62. Okay, I was gonna say, I know I've heard that name several times. And uh, so, aunt and uncle on the two different sides of my family got to be very friendly. And that's how my father's sister got to be friendly with my grandparents, met my mother when she was nine years old, and when she was old enough, tried to get my father to take her out. <laughs> and eventually, uh, she succeeded, he did take her out, and uh, took her out on June 9th and June 12th, they were engaged. Wow. So his sister knew what she was talking about, but that was <laughs> all because so. of Ojibwa. Wow. That's amazing. So all of that before you ever were thought of? or ever. Long before I was thought <laughs> of. Absolutely. That's incredible. So then you come to camp. Now, how do you get to camp in those days? We got to camp, well, uh, camp, everybody took the train up unless you had parents like mine who weren't ready to let go quite yet, and we would <laughs> drive up a little early. Ah. My brother 
David started camp in 61 at nine years old. So the next year when he was 10 and I was eight, I started. Perfect. Um, hmm. So we drove up. Yeah. <laughs> eight, that's a pretty early start for camp. Uh, you know. Maybe it, not in those days, I suppose. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's different. Um, when my daughters first went away to camp at starting at, I guess did the same thing, the oldest at nine, the next mm. one at eight when she was 10. I was beside myself. I just, I wrote them every day. I was a mess. And then I understood why my parents used to show up in Eagle River every now and then, <laughs> saying that they just happened to be <laughs> <laughs> just happened to be in the driving through. Yeah, <laughs> that's excellent. So, as a young man, as a very young man, getting there, what what's the very first thing you can remember about Ojibwa? About getting arriving in Ojibwa? The very f the very first thing is. I came up late the first summer because I'd been in the hospital. I had mm. been sick, and um, uh, so I couldn't go up right at the beginning. And I remember, you know, it's funny how you remember snippets of things, but I remember all the kids from my cabin, cabin one, must have been waiting at the door, and when they knew it was me, they all came running out en masse to greet me. Oh, that's great. And that was... Uh, 54 years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the first, <laughs> the very first memory. That's a great greeting, though. You get a little bit of a late entrance, you know, and make an arrival. That's right. <laughs> Always good to get somewhere fashionably late. <laughs> now, that, that first year with Cabin One, do you remember your counselors or, your, or any of the guys who were in there with you? You know, I remember uh, uh, Dean Lieberman was my counselor, and I remembered at eight years old, I wondered how he got away from his family to come up for the summer because he was so old. I figured he had to be married with kids. <laughs> you know, who knows? He was 19 or 20, I <laughs> sure. suppose. And I don't remember the JC's names. Uh, kids in the, oh, Steve Braverman, Alan Blum. And Bruce Strongin, I think it was S-T-R-O-N-G-I-N. Mm. He and Alan were cousins. And I think we, the three of us, were in one, three, and five together. So I do, <laughs> I do remember that. Nice. So going up to camp, were you already interested in sports? Did you already like to play sports? I guess like any kid, but that's really where my first real exposure mm. to sports came. And, uh, you know, you're really dumped right in the middle of it. So you're yeah. doing just about any sport you can do without ice. Yeah. Uh, Were there any, which ones really uh, stuck out for you that you ended up really enjoying the most? Uh, eventually. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, eventually I loved playing softball. You know, when I started like most kids, I really didn't know which end of the bat to Sure. to hold on to, and, uh, uh, you know, I was pretty horrible. Mm. But I guess I was cute back then, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I got away with some stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I got older, I developed and became, uh, I guess what I would say now is a pretty decent athlete. Certainly in, in camp terms, I was... Uh, 
That was pretty good. Fair enough. <laughs> pretty good goes a long way at camp. It does, you know, <laughs> good enough to be a, a first pick in collegiate week, and that's mm. one of those things that you all through growing up, you think, oh, boy, I wonder if I'll ever be one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, collegiate week continues to be, as it was then, arguably the greatest sporting event to take place in the, on the planet at any given year. Um, I think it pretty much is. You really... You don't forget it. <laughs> now, the, did you have the luck or uh, no. good fortune of winning? I should never. Say? Never won. Never took second. Oh. Took third a couple times, but never uh, never won the week. Wow. I remember taking last on uh, Ohio, and Ricky Edelman, who I think became Roger Edelman, like I went from Dickie to Richard, uh, was the coach, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had a lot of fun because everybody would always sing their own fight songs. You know, mm -hmm. we were always, we were just trailing so badly. He would always lead us in everybody else's fight songs, and <laughs> it was fun. It was memorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. A lot That's... of it's just luck of the draw, <laughs> you know, when you're... Eight, nine, ten, you know, it's questionable how much you can bring right. to it, but, you know, you never know. Everybody has to win at ping pong and box hockey and all right. the individual things and the, uh, and the swim meets. I mean, everybody, yeah, everybody sure. counts. And, of course, uh, song and stunt night, as you mentioned. Was that an aspect that you uh, took part in regularly? I was a theater major in college. Mm. Uh, I'd been a tap dancer for, I don't know, 40, 50 years, competitive ballroom dancer. I've, I've produced a little bit on Broadway, mm. but my love of theater all came from camp. Mm. I had the same counselor uh, seven out of my nine years as a camper, six oh, wow. years straight. Well, I'm sure you've met Elliot Friedman. Yes. Uh, and, you know, growing up there in the 60s when everybody was listening to the Beatles and all of sure, the rock of, of the day, Elliot was playing show music. Mm. And some years we would have a choice. We could listen to Carousel or highlights from Carousel. <laughs> Depended on whether or not you wanted to hear you're a queer one, Julie Jordan. Certain <laughs> songs never made it in. Uh, or Hello, Dolly, or the London cast of Hello, oh, Dolly. Oh, sure, of course. And I grew to love it. My folks took us to Broadway, but mm -hmm. it was that, that exposure nonstop during the summers that developed what became... Uh, uh, a passion in my life, and yeah. my wife uh, did Broadway herself, was on Broadway, and did film and TV and all of that. Mm. Um, but my my love of it really came from Elliot. That's wonderful. He woke us up every morning with whatever his favorite show from that Broadway season was. Mm. So whether it was the overture from Promises, Promises, oh, or Applause, sure. or Golden Rainbow that not many people remember, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, or Maggie Flynn that played on Broadway for a month. 
but I know every song. Yeah. Because <laughs> he played it. And a lot of those songs ended up making it into the Jubilee eventually. Uh, and and still do. And still do. Absolutely. What I like about it is it gives these guys a safe place to do that too. So often if you're a quote-unquote jock, you get stuck in a situation where you, you can't go on stage too. I mean, nowadays maybe it's a little lighter, but even, you know, the further you go back, the tougher it would be. It's a certain, mm-hmm. you know, machismo or whatever goes with that. Of course. And Ojibwa offers that safe space to try that too. Why not? Yeah, and people were really very supportive. I mean, it's the first place I ever tried out doing my tap dancing in front mm. of anybody. And, you know, I was horrible, but everybody was so supportive. Sure. And so wonderful. So you're right, and it was a place to play the piano and talent shows when I was uh, a little boy there, and it was a great opportunity. Yeah. Camp at that time, you have Alan Pearl, mm-hmm. and probably Mickey, I guess, is starting to become a, a bigger figure at camp. My very first year, I remember Al come running in the uh, mess hall saying, I'm a grandfather. Oh, wow. Because Karen, Karen Lynn was born, the first wow. of his grandkids. So she was born. Sorry, Karen, I'm betraying your age. But uh, <laughs> my, first, my first year at camp. So, yeah, Mickey and Reva were there and, you know, just kids themselves, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so Denny it, was there. So. so in those days, did you, as a camper and then later as a staff man, were you able to have kind of a personal relationship with Alan Pearl, or was it more sort of employee-employer? You mean as a kid? Well, both. I suppose as a kid and then a little later as a staff man, too. Well, Al... Al was really... Uh, uh, what we'd say a one-er. If you ever do crossword puzzles, he was a one-of-a-kind guy. And uh, you always felt like you had a relationship with him, mm. even the little kids. And Pearl was uh, was the, was more forceful and dominant, and as a little kid, you think, oh, uh-oh. But, you know, <laughs> she was just, she was strong. She had been a PE teacher uh, when they met, and uh, and she understood boys, <laughs> and she knew that there needed to be uh, boundaries, and she sure. knew how to throw them out there. So, but always felt uh, a good relationship with him. And uh, thinking back, I remember him coming to our house to play some movie. Mm. movies of camp when my brother was first looking to go up there. I'd forgotten about that, Mm. so that was probably late 60, early 61 before my brother Dave went. And my brother Jack also went to camp. He's a few years younger than I am. Nice. So always, always felt a good relationship with Alan Pearl. Yeah. Well, he was... uh, he was a great guy. He was a character. You know, a kid would come up to him crying about something while he's talking to somebody else, and he would say, here, hold this a minute, and he'd put his leg like carpal marks in the kid's hand. The kid would hold it, and he'd keep talking to whoever he's talking to for another minute. He said, all right, what is it? The kid forgot. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a great so. move. <laughs> so he understood kids too. Yeah. So moving forward in time a little bit as you as you continue on being a camper and on the way into thirteen, um, are there other guys that come along that become close friends or other counselors along that way that you really click with? Sure. I mean, there's still people that I, you know, was with all those years or almost all those years. And now, you know, I see them occasionally, uh, all too frequently. It's at a, a funeral. But mm. uh, sure, Dave Matazar and Barry Feldman, Ken Roffey, Jim Rubens, Ken Caden, Eddie Cohn, Skippy Cohn. Keith Zimmerman, Roger Glick, Alan Futransky, who's still going up there, I, <laughs> as I understand. Yes, he is. Uh, and um, I don't know, Mickey Heyman, all the Rosens, Mike, Steve, and Jimmy. Rose, uh, it's Jim, Steve, and Mike. Got my order correct. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all went through it all together. Yeah, I think there's a real... Um, there's different eras of camp, and during different eras of camp, there's a different um, feel to the place during certain periods of time. You know, in the in just before you got there, sort of that late 50s, there was a real big push of these really super elite athletes and a lot of college players and Hershey Carl and Ronnie Rubenstein and these guys who were real legendary athletes. And, and it carries on into the 60s a little bit with like the Kranskis and things like that. And, and certainly every era has its athletes and Rafi and Feldman. Please excuse me if I leave you off that list. I didn't mean to. Um, but there's also a second thing that's happening there, I think, in that time in the 60s as you're becoming a camper and into a counselor. And and it really is just the 60s is happening. And, and you know, it's Futransky and Rafi. They've all told me about, you know, it's a softening, like the Braves sort of moving away from a certain type of <laughs> initiation into the Braves. Yeah. And, and, a, and, a, and a, a love, a love is happening that softens camp, was, I think, a little uh, bit. Yeah, it, it was... I think I did live through some of that transition because when I started it, you know, it had a reputation uh, of being, you know, super competitive, and we would compete with other camps, and it was a, it was a big, big deal. Um, but that, it it did start to ease up a little bit, and you know, it since has quite a bit. It's still you know, lots of sports and everybody's playing to win, but uh, I don't, you don't get the sense that the, the staff is there and they're gonna, you're going to ruin their summer if you drop a right. ball or if you miss, miss a hit. You know, Absolutely. It's all part of children growing up. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a transition time. It was a transition, such a transition in our... In our country, you know, I started in Certainly. 62 and 63, uh, uh, President Kennedy was shot. That was a, a huge change in the country. In 67, I'm trying to remember when Martin Luther King was killed, mm, right. and then Bobby Kennedy in 68. A lot of the Democratic Convention, a lot of transitions. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's just interesting to me because we think of camp as this other world, this other place we all get to go visit from time to time, and a little bit of Brigadoon. It's part of why it's so special. And um, But there are times when the world can't, you can't keep the world out of camp. It, it's influencing it, and arguably for the better sometimes, but, you know, 
1962 and three, my first two years, had a minstrel show. Sure, of course. And uh, after that, Al said, you know, it's no good, can't do it anymore. And looking back in hindsight, probably should have stopped it sooner, but you know, any, any good idea would always have been better sooner. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. you know, it was, well the, uh, it was yeah. the time to do it, and that was, uh, that was a big transition. And I think it was a good, uh, it was a good teaching moment for the kids because mm. it's very easy to look at things when you're not affected by it all and say, oh, what's the big deal? And he made it clear we saw that it was a big deal. Yeah. So it was a good uh, it was a good lesson for those of us who you know grew up. So many of us on the in either in the city or in the North Shore where we just weren't exposed at that point in time. Right. So Absolutely. It was, uh, it was a good thing. It's interesting you say that because we're Denny right now is sort of trying to transition us away from uh, using Native American symbology in, in the powwow. Like the powwows aren't even called powwows anymore, and not, not doing headdresses, and, and again, it's one of those things, maybe it's time should have been sooner, but it's also, well, what's the big deal? You know, there's, you know. You know what, it's, but that's always the case. I remember being interviewed on a TV or radio something, and I, uh, we, there were a bunch of uh, black Baptist churches that were being burned down, mm. and I was president of American Jewish Committee at the time, and we in the Catholic Church and the, uh, I think the Lutherans, can't forget the Methodists, and that I'm not sure. And we uh, got together to raise money mm -hmm. to help rebuild these churches. So, you know, at, uh, at Mass in the Catholic Church, they were asking their parishioners to send money to the Jewish organization who was dispersing it to the Baptist churches. Wow. And somebody interviewing me said, you know, are you sorry you didn't do this sooner? And like we said before, of course I'm sorry. Any good idea would have been better <laughs> sooner. But, you know, that's life and things come in their, uh, yeah. in their time. So. Absolutely. So let's move forward a little bit now to being a staff man. It's a pretty big change. I know a little less so in those days because you still got to play in the sports, but you had to wait the tables. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember my, it changed right when I was becoming a junior counselor. We did not play. Oh. The JCs did maybe only a year before I became a JC or a couple years, mm. I forget, but it was right around that time. So unless my memory's really gone. We did not play. Gotcha. Um, so it was, it was a transition, but it was a different kind of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I loved it. And I loved being in a cabin with the kids. And I, you know, I just enjoyed working with them and trying to... <laughs> be a role model as much as I could be and try to uh, make things as as smooth and easy for the kids that didn't have it as smooth and easy as some of the others. So sure. I, 
I enjoyed that part a lot. Did you have one of those moments where you suddenly realized, oh, I'm the counselor now? <laughs> you know, I, I took it seriously from the start. Mm. I, I really did, because as a camper, I, I, I did whatever I wanted within certain bounds and got sure. away with a lot of stuff, most of which had, you know, Al probably knew, but he made <laughs> us feel like we were getting away with it, stealing salami from the warehouse, you know, the storeroom late at night. Sure. Or, you know, silly things like that. And my guess is they knew everything we were doing, but <laughs> we felt like we were getting away with stuff. Um, there were other things as well. But when I became, uh, when I got on the staff, I, uh, I I think I took it very seriously for somebody that age. Mm -hmm. You know, as I uh, got older and have kids of my own, now grandchildren of my own, I think about when I ran the waterfront, ran it with Jimmy Warren. I, I think I was actually assistant. <laughs> mm. um, but we lived in the shack together, and I, I, I took it very seriously. I was very careful with the kids, but sometimes people say, gee, wouldn't you like to go back and do such and such again? And I couldn't do it. I'd never sleep. I'd, mm. be, I'd sit up on the pier all night watching to make sure everything <laughs> is okay. Yeah. Uh, but I think for a... Well, I guess I was 17 and 18 as a JC, 19, no, excuse me. Well, yeah. Yeah, and 19 a counselor and 20 in the shack. Pretty young, but I, I did take it seriously. Mm. Now, I've talked to a few of those names we mentioned earlier. Um, some of those guys have talked about the other part of being a staff man that you don't do when you're a camper, and that's what happens after you're done for the day, and whether you get to go into town or what that might include now, was that something that you took part in? <laughs> Every chance I had. <laughs> uh, I guess the, my first year, we couldn't drink. I think the next, I think maybe when I was 18, they changed the drinking age mm. to 18 in Wisconsin, which was a big mistake. Sure. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, we did. We went into town and we went to a bar called Harley's. It had been the Tip Top Tap, I, not Tip Top, TP Tap. Okay. Downstairs next to the bowling alley. Okay, sure. And, uh, you know, we had fun. Thank God we all lived through it. Right. <laughs> but we did go in. I mean, and, uh, I forget how many days a week you had that you could go in. and But we did, and it was more of a chance to hang out together and, and had a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's the piece that uh, we forget sometimes is that that's a, there's an important bonding time that happens there. And it's not necessarily about the drinking or whatever. It's oh, just about no, no, where no. you are no, and being it's with just, those people. I mean, it's not like everybody was just getting loaded every night. It was, it was a chance to be together. And, uh, you know, when you've had all those experiences together 
And as I said earlier on, you see uh, see somebody af- at a funeral, and it's you know you're back. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it uh, it's a connection that endures. Yeah. <laughs> now, as a staff man, you mentioned the waterfront shack. Uh, what were your jobs? What were the things that you did? I mean, as a JC, basically everyone kind of does the same thing. But were there specific jobs that you took on? Uh, yeah, I guess. I probably worked in the shows. I probably helped choreograph the the shows. Hmm. Um, I guess so, now that I look back on it. Um, and I... Uh, what did I teach? I guess as a junior counselor, you get shuffled around, so you teach yeah. a lot of different things, and I certainly knew more than the 10-year-olds, so I could <laughs> uh, teach them a dig shot in volleyball or how to swing a bat. Um, but, you know, slowly I moved more and more toward waterfront, and I just kind of loved it, and uh, mm. so I got my WSI, which is water safety instructor, so you can sure. teach everything up to and including senior life saving. So I taught swimming, taught uh, water skiing, taught all the boating, taught sailing, although a lot of the sailing was on sunfish, which isn't much more than an ironing board, the little <laughs> cockpit, but, uh, but taught it and really... Uh, Really enjoyed it. Sure, I, I believe the sunfish still reign supreme at Camp Ojibwa. If you yeah, you know come up from they're sailing this summer, they're fun. They're easy. You tip them over, you can tip them back up, and uh, you know it's just uh, a lot of fun down there. Yeah. The were you a water skier? I was. I was. I uh, because that's pretty early on. I think right for the skiing at camp. I mean, I know it predates you a little bit, but. Well, they had skiing, but we really got into it. My brother, David, was a was a terrific skier, and uh, but yeah, I don't remember a lot of it. I really don't remember that much of it when I was younger there. But I really mm-hmm. got into it later on, and yeah, then it was becoming a bigger deal, and we had some people come in to do some teaching oh, and then sure. you might go out and see the the Manaqua bats of course the Manaqua do bats. their show but uh yeah I did a lot of skiing and Steve you know, Katz was probably there skiing around the lake the St- <laughs> Steve was there Steve's a f- yeah s- few several years older and you know it was a big deal to do a dock start where you sit on the edge, you watch the rope going out, and you yell, hit it, so you don't have to get wet, and head right out. And we used to go most every morning early before Reveille mm. or late in the day, and uh, it was great. Nice. It was great. <laughs> That's excellent. Now, uh, after camp, did you go back at all? Did you go back for, like, post-camp or I rarely visits? did post. I did post few times mm. and I've been back to visit and I keep wanting to go back I'm thinking try to get up for a day this year with my dad who just turned 90 and I'd wow. like to get up and let him just see it so fly up for a day and have a look around yeah absolutely listen come home, if so. he would have any interest I'd love to chat with him too 
I mean, that would be amazing. Thank but you. Looking back on it, um, when you talk about your camp years with people, what are the stories? What are the things that stick out? What are the parts that, I mean, obviously we talked about the stage, and I think that's probably the big one, I'm guessing, but what are the things that stick out for you? Well, you know, there, I guess there are, there are different moments, moments that stick out. I remember my wife asking me, I don't know, four or five years ago, what's the most peaceful memory you have? And I said it was at the end of the day, just sweeping up on the, uh, on the pier at, at dusk. It's a wonderful memory, mm. very peaceful, peaceful time of day. Uh, and there are people I remember, and I uh, remember Jim Nachman, Dr. Jim Nachman, who passed away suddenly, I, I don't know, it's five or six years ago, maybe. Yeah, I guess so, yeah on a rafting trip, and he always chanted uh, the Kiddush on Friday nights. But after his last year at camp, I, I did it my last year, mm. and I don't, I don't think they do it. I, I don't know if they do. I don't think so anymore. But chanted the whole, you know, the long sure. version of it, and that's something I always remember. And then... Several months ago, I was going over to uh, Lurie Children's Hospital, mm. right by where I live, because I'm involved with a week-long urban camp for kids with cancer. And awesome. I was uh, going with our director to meet one of the doctors over there. And, of course, I Googled him before I went, and said he had done training at University of Chicago. Mm. I said, did you ever, you know, know a guy named Jim Nachman? There were pictures of him all over the office. Mm. Yeah, it was his mentor. Wow. I remember asking him once, how could he do a job like that, pediatric oncology? It must just be... You know, how can you handle it? And he says, I think about all the people that we help and all the people we save. So. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Well, I like to, um, as, I, as we wrap up a little bit, I always ask two questions at the end, and I'll preface one for you so you can kind of think about it a little bit while you answer the other. Seven and pink. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this has been great. Thank you for coming. Um, uh, first is... Uh, you're grown up now, as far as I as far as I can tell, <laughs> uh, and have had a have had a life. How has how has your time at Camp Ojibwe affected that life? I think it was a, a good opportunity to learn how to work with people and deal with situations without uh, without the protective barrier of somebody 
fixing everything immediately. Um, so if there was a, a fight or a problem, you had to figure out how to deal with it. Mm. And you either had to learn how to fight back or how to uh, be very diplomatic. And I've spent a lot of time traveling around the world working on uh, stopping people from shooting here and there and mm -hmm. trying to uh, make things more peaceful in different parts of the world. So uh, that probably started back then, yeah. learning how to, uh, how to deal with people, how to enjoy success and it sounds trite, but how to be a good loser, too, because mm. your life is full of losing. I mean, you have winning moments, but if you're really trying things and working hard on them, your life is going to be full of failures. Sure. And I think when they say Babe Ruth had 700-something home runs and... 1,500 strikeouts. Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, you got to be able to get knocked down and get back up again. I think that's what uh, gentleman Jim Corbett, who changed the face of boxing um, last century, and somebody asked him, what does it take to be a champ? And he said, it's the ability to just go one more round. Mm. So anyhow, camp has been a great thing for me. I think it was a good thing. My daughters went to Maramita. My son went to Ojibwa, not for long, because it wasn't you know, for him the way it was for me. But, sure. uh, so I, I guess I, I circle back to working with others, but also being able to uh, take failure and try to do better next time. Hmm. Perfect. So the last question is simply, tell me one great camp story. Well, I won't use the name of the other fella in case he doesn't want to share it, but we met some girls, they were riding horses near camp, hmm. and uh, one of them worked in one of the stables, you know, who knows how old they were, I mean, I was probably 15 at the time, and we made a date to sneak out one night, cabin 13, and go horseback riding with these girls. Wow. Which we did. And we never thought anybody would figure it out, but as I learned that night, and now we own some horses, I know very clearly, once you've been riding on a horse, the smell kind of stays with you for a while. <laughs> so there was no really getting away with it. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that is perfect. I think that seals it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate well, it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you.
Okay, that is it. Another one in the books and a delightful one at that. Uh, how much fun was that? Had no idea either about uh, how deep his family history is with camp and all the people he's connected to over the years. Some good factoids in there as well about Collegiate Week, amongst many other things. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibbleHistory.org, or just swing by the website and see what's up. If you haven't checked out the uh, plaques yet, go check them out. The Mess Hall plaques are all there in beautiful, vibrant color. You can see them all. Also, if you're a lover of the podcast and you'd like to have a few of the episodes uh, that you had in the past maybe or, or missed out along the way, visit OJPodcast.com. Right there, every episode, complete archive, all on one page, easy to get sort through. Click the download link on any individual episode. It'll download right to your computer and you'll have it forever. Take one, take two, take all 78, whatever you need. They're there for you. Enjoy them. Okay, seriously, guys. I am so not prepared for this Chicago winter. 